Hello, this is James Chow, and you're listening to the second episode of Beach Weekly, a news podcast from the Daily 49er at Long Beach State. Beach Weekly! Today we're doing things a little bit different here on the podcast. We'll be going over the past week's stories on the Triple C's, Campus Clash, College Affordability, and the Climathon event, and we will talk to the writers who cover these stories and have them explain in depth the article's content. And let's get right into it. On Tuesday, October 23rd, the Long Beach State chapter of Turning Point USA hosted a talk featuring conservative commentators Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens promoting conservative ideas. The event drew 236 attendees who packed the USU Beach Auditorium to full capacity. Concurrently, outside the auditorium walls were lines of chanting protesters and police in riot gear. I'm here with two of our reporters from the event, Paula Calais, who covered the talk, and Alex Apatiga, who covered the protest. Hello. Hello. Hi. So, Paula, you covered the actual Turning Point event, so how was it like covering it? I can say that I haven't really been to a Turning Point event, and this is definitely my first, so it was interesting to hear what they had to say. It was interesting to hear their stances on topics like sexual assault and like free market economies. Um, It was definitely kind of like an echo chamber in there because it was just a lot of extreme right-wing opinions. There was really no representation for opposing views. So, yeah. Um, What kind of notable ideas did um, Kirk and Owens talk about that stuck out to you in any way? Um, Owens in particular was, she's really against radical feminism. She expressed her disapproval of like the like Me Too movement and she said that it was like a weapon used to target men, especially in the political realm. Um, they talked about Brett Kavanaugh and his sexual misconduct allegations. So yeah, that kind of stuck out. It was really shocking to hear that coming from a woman, but it's her opinion, so. So Kirk had this like slogan. He called it victors, not victims. And he was essentially like blaming leftists for programming like a victimhood where he called a victimhood mentality so he said that when people are like programmed to think like victims that it's easy to sell them entitlement programs or it's easy to have people think that they're entitled to things because they're oppressed i don't know but it's i don't know it was weird to hear that coming from like this white guy you know to tell people like oh you're not oppressed so um yeah well thanks paula for your insight on what happened during the event yeah, no problem. Yeah, and then, you know, well, um, outside the walls of the event, there were orange barricades and police in riot gear. Alex, you covered the outside. How was the environment of the protest like? Very tense. I'd never been to an event like that, so I didn't know what to expect. I knew it was, well, I didn't know if it would be peaceful. I mean, like, there was no fighting, or there was no, like, really big confrontation, but it was definitely tense, and everyone was kind of on edge. So yeah, that was an experience. What were the kinds of things that were being talked about, or things that people were chanting? Um, it was, I think, well, the group that, the counter-protest that came out, I think came out around seven, but it was right after the sun had gone down. So they just kind of came out of nowhere. And then they just kind of took up on the steps and just started chanting like, fascists go home, transgender rights or human rights and they had like this big anti-fascist sign sort of thing 
and people wearing like masks and bandanas and yeah it was crazy there was this one guy who was wearing an american flag like a cape and he was just kind of standing there he was i think he was pretty calm everyone was kind of screaming and you know they were really emotional and obviously because i mean it's a really charged night but he i think he was among the pretty calm ones there were also some i don't know if this makes sense like counter counter protesters but like really few people i think from inside the turning point who came outside to see what was going on so there was some of that like there were some make america great again hats would you guys agree that this was actually a campus clash in your eyes or two separate groups talking about their own ideas and a wall in between them rather than a clash i'd definitely say it was two separate conversations happening there definitely was not an exchange of ideas at least from the inside which is kind of interesting because turning point likes to say that oh this event was to have a discussion between like opposing ideas but that didn't happen there was a conversation going on inside i feel and then a separate conversation going on outside but nobody was listening to each other so yeah i, I agree with you because i mean obviously the counter process was there to protest against the turning point but i feel like they were protesting more against the event itself and not really what it stood for obviously like they were protesting against like the conservative ideas and stuff but it was just a lot of repetitive chanting drowning out a lot of different voices the counter protesters there was no real exchange what little exchange there was it either ended up in frustration or in an almost confrontation I don't think either side wanted to hear each other at all. On October 4th, Assemblymember and candidate for State Superintendent Tony Thurman hosted a town hall meeting at UC San Diego about higher education. I'm here with reporter Hannah Gatahoon, who wrote a story on Thurman's plan for college affordability. Hi, it's nice to be here. <laughs> First time. Um, yeah, let's get into let's it. Let's get into it. Okay, awesome. I love the energy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, what kind of issues did Thurman talk about at the meeting? Um, so he was talking about, it was college affordability in specifically higher education. He brought along some student leaders from UCSD and SDSU. I'm not completely sure if there was other schools. It was hosted at UC San Diego. I know most people think that college affordability is specifically about tuition, but during the meeting, they were bringing up that college affordability that entails you know, housing and food along with tuition. The point of the meeting was that he was trying to let students know about his plan because right now he's a state superintendent candidate. I guess he's trying to garner the vote of college students, but he wants to have a bill that's co-written by students. So he invited all public education students, so students at UCs and CSUs, to um, give him suggestions on a bill that he wants to introduce in January to the state legislator that would address housing, food insecurity, homelessness, along with college tuition, just to make things cheaper for college students. Can you tell me a little bit about the position of state superintendent? So the state superintendent, it's for public instruction, so he oversees public schools, including the UC and CSU system. 
Specifically for CSUs, he will be an ex officio member of the CSU Board of Trustees, which means that he's like, as state superintendent, he can kind of influence certain legislation that'll be put up in the Board of Trustees. I think uh, that's those are his main roles as superintendent for colleges specifically, but as of right now, it's mostly just overseeing the CSU Board of Trustees. That's would be his main role for the CSUs as state superintendent. Mm -hmm. You talk about college affordability not being limited to tuition, so what kind of financial struggles do average Cal State students face? Tuition alone, uh, it's around $15,000 on average that students will have in terms of loan debt by the time they leave the CSU campus. I was talking to students and some of them raised the issue of housing. I think that was the biggest issue because a lot of students at specifically this college live at home and commute from home and those who don't live at home and they live around campus, a lot of their earnings from their job goes into housing and a lot of issues have been raised uh, the rent in Long Beach it's always like it's always mm -hmm. a contested issue just because it's so high here during the town hall too they were there was a lot of discussions about like homelessness student homelessness and food insecurity there was a study that I cited in my article and it was about food insecurity and homelessness in the CSU system and it said that 41.6 percent of students had been food insecure and 10.9% experienced homelessness one or more times between January 2017 and January 2018. Wow. So um, that's a pretty significant number. Mm -hmm. And so I think tuition is a big factor, but I think also housing expenses and food expenses factor in a lot to student struggles in terms of the affordability of college. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's tough being a college student in these days, especially for having to juggle between paying for just basic living expenses and having to juggle between that and, and higher education and like yeah. tuition. It can get overwhelming for students, I agree. But there's a lot of factors that come into college affordability. I think most of the time people just tackle tuition and they don't look into the other factors like expensive housing, expensive food. I, I know we do have like a pantry, but I don't think every everyone utilizes it. So yeah, there there's a lot that goes into college affordability. Mm -hmm. All right, I'm here with our under the weather news editor. Hi everyone, I'm really sick, so I lost my voice, so we had to delay the podcast a few days. Yeah, but it's fine though, you know, the content is still there. So hey Emma, so you covered the second ever Climathon Hackathon event this past Saturday. Care to talk about it a bit? Um, so I arrived at around two in the morning, so I don't think that I saw the peak amount of people there but there definitely were a bunch it was in the duncan anderson design gallery so they maybe i think they only had about four really concrete teams um and i think the whole point of the event was to create new solutions for sustainable housing that was the theme this year so they had a team working on tiny homes they had a team working on an app to um, evaluate someone's individual carbon output they had someone creating, or a team rather, creating um, an outlet sort of device to um, eliminate vampire energy. So vampire energy is basically if you have something plugged in in your house and you're not using it, so all of your lighting fixtures, 
your like microwave, things like that, your toaster, they're all using energy just by being plugged in. So even your laptop charger being plugged in, connected or disconnected from your computer is always siphoning energy and using all that energy across, you know, a place like Los Angeles with millions of people. Over time, that's a large amount of energy. So it's something kind of not really noticeable in each individual household but as a whole takes up a lot of energy so they were trying to create a device a household device to combat that mm-hmm. and how do they kind of calculate all that energy so they i believe i think they did on their own some tests on an outlet or maybe they looked it up but i think that they measured um the amount that a single outlet plugged into a laptop with um on sleep mode for an entire year and it was some like Something that would cost like maybe a hundred dollars a year in mm-hmm. energy cost right. just in Los Angeles, and not that anyone leaves their computer on sleep mode plugged in for an entire year, but it kind of gives perspective to how much energy that really is, and it was a huge amount of energy. Like that's just one device, you know, mm-hmm. and that's spanning. Imagine that in a household in every single place in Long Beach or every single place in LA. Um, so. There was an electrical engineer and then a mechanical engineer, I believe. And they were working together to not just come up with, oh, this is a cool idea that we can do. This is what we're going to propose. But really, they were figuring out the wiring. They had, like, pictures on a chalkboard of, like, a million different dials that they were trying to figure out, like, which way they can make this all wireless and all sync it up and how they can can make it, like, most user-intuitive. Because at the end of the night, they have to do a presentation to, like, the directors Um, And I think that at the end, they were all, the money was distributed evenly throughout all of them because they all had really great ideas, but they're there for 24 hours and they're allowed to come and go. So some team members would come, some would go. It wasn't just students. There were like community members. There was former aerospace engineers. There were professional people that did coding that were like typing away for hours and hours, like coding things for their um, projects. So... It was kind of crazy. I feel like this is the second 24-hour event I've covered, and it's always amazing to see how much work is coming out of these people at 2 in the morning, at 4 in the morning, you know? They're really energized and, like, ready to go, you know? Right, definitely, like night owls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's so weird. The entire campus is quiet. There's, like, nothing. You Mm -hmm. see, like, the rabbits and the mice, like, walking about. All the fountains are turned off. Mice. Yeah, I've seen mice. I saw a rabbit. I was shocked. Um, Okay. (laughs) Um, But you walk, and then you hear, like, a slight murmur, you know, and it's just this one building that's all lit up, and then you can go in, and then there's people. You just hear, like, all the tapping, and you peel hear like people talking to each other the chalk moving on the boards it's really cool Mm -hmm. was there any kind of other interesting ideas presented at the climathon that stuck out to you the tiny homes were cool the organizers of the event were pointing out to me that the community or some community leader had provided these maps that were all over the wall that were showing a want like water increase by 2020 and which areas like oh the peninsula is going to be gone right. oh this area near the coast is going to be completely gone what do we have to think of in terms of mobile housing what do we have to think of in terms of sustainable housing mm-hmm. that might need to be moved or maybe we shouldn't build on these certain areas so i thought it was really interesting that they had all this information you know and like you don't necessarily think oh Long Beach like this, how do we make it better now? Because in 10 years, it's going to be a completely different Long Beach, you know? Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really interesting. And one really interesting thing actually was 
Long Beach's Climathon was in communications with Zurich, Switzerland's Climathon throughout the night. So they were talking and they were bouncing back ideas, seeing what kind of approaches they're taking because we're both very different cities, but because climate change is such like a universal thing, we're all kind of facing the same issues. So it's good to see what other places, how they're combating what's to come. Yeah, definitely. And that collaboration between two different sides of the the globe. Yeah, it's crazy. It's Mm -hmm. insane. It's like, I don't know. I think that's amazing. That just, you don't see that all the time, especially with something like climate change and especially something hosted on a college campus where students or community members can directly contact someone else, someone that's an expert thousands and thousands of miles away, you know, and kind of bounce ideas off each other. All right. Well, thank you so much, Emma, for talking about Climathon. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Hopefully I'll be back next week and I will not sound like an old lady. To read full coverage of these stories, please check out daily49er.com. We upload different content throughout the week with stories ranging from campus and city news, arts and human interest stories, sports, and opinions alongside other multimedia productions. From now on, we will upload Beach Weekly content every Friday, presenting the latest 49er stories throughout the week. If you missed our first episode, check out the website or follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Daily49er. I'm your host, James, and get out there and don't forget to vote on November 6th.